Welcome to Golden State of Mindcast. This is Ivan. It's a busy week for the Warriors. This podcast is uh, is being recorded on Thursday, uh, following a really frustrating and curryless loss to the Grizzlies last night. Uh, Friday night we have the Lakers, uh, and you'll probably know the outcome of that game by the time you hear this. Uh, probably this will be going up on on Friday or Saturday. But right now we want to talk about the big game on Saturday against uh, the red hot Portland Trailblazers. And who better to talk about the game than with SB Nation's Blazers Edge? And uh, I'm once again joined by Nate Parham, who can introduce today's guest. Nate? We have Dave Deckard from Blazers Edge today. Uh, he's gonna, he wrote a great piece the other day about the Blazers' start to this season. And we're just going to talk shop a little bit and try to get a sense for the matchup. And uh, not really whether the Blazers are for real, because I think that's a question he answers pretty well in his article. But uh, some of the things that are going into why they're starting so well. So, Dave, uh, welcome to the Golden State of Mindcast here. Absolutely. Ten and two, baby. We're, we're liking this up in Portland. <laughs> so I'm just going to jump right in here. You know, like, as I said, you know, I'm not going to ask you if you think the Blazers are for real, because I think your article the other day at Blazers Edge, which people should go check out, put things pretty concisely when you said the Blazers have just announced their intention and ability to not suck. I think that's perfect way to say that. But Absolutely. given the start... <laughs> Give me your start. And you know what? As long as they keep playing the injured Brooklyn Nets and the, the regular old Milwaukee Bucks, <laughs> we will continue to not suck. Can we play <laughs> them? Come on. <laughs> so well, you what, took their center. <laughs> so so just for you so far, what is the biggest surprise about their start to the season, um, aside from the fact that they're not sucking? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the the chemistry and precision with which they are executing the game plan. Portland is winning in a very particular way. You can count on 20 points plus from LaMarcus Aldridge. That's a given. But that alone is not going to win you the game. They are sharing the ball, hitting the open man, uh, creating a little bit of pressure on the strong side enough to make stupid teams uh, send an extra man and then whoever that team leaves hits a three-pointer and basically the Blazers end up with somewhere between 10 and 15 three-pointers a game and that is how they win and it's been night after night after night almost without fail open three-pointers have won the game for the Blazers and it's a surprise a that the league hasn't caught on yet, but also be the commitment with which these players are executing that plan. There's a lot of catch and shoot. There's a lot of assist uh, sharing the ball. They are doing it flawlessly right now. And it's surprising that that happened so quickly in the season. You know, right. the, the Blazers have been a young team for, for you know, a lot of years now. It seems like that's always kind of talked about a kind of a, a young team that has a lot of young guys that that are still learning the game. Is this? Does this feel like you know if they're if they're now really executing the plan? Is is are we turning the page from that conversation and and on to kind of now they're just a team? A little bit with the starting lineup. I mean, Aldridge is in his seventh year. Nikola Batum's in his fifth. Wesley Matthews is in his fourth, and Mo Williams is in his tenth. I guess Darrell Wright counts too. He's in his ninth. But everybody else has an R or a 1 by their name pretty much. So the team overall is still pretty young. But some of the key players are starting to hit their prime, uh, their early prime years. And a, a couple of experienced bench players have helped. So the designation still has to be young, but it's with an asterisk. The guy, guys who are actually playing have enough experience to be sick of losing and, and to know how to play the game. So you mentioned Darrell Wright is a former Warrior obviously. Um, and I, I think here in his second year when he was here, he kind of dropped off a bit from the three-point line. 
looked like he had some confidence struggles, but he's part of that that depth you guys have off the bench and the depth and the fact that you guys are hitting so many threes. But kind of what has he been giving you so far? Is uh, he is a more veteran guy now, which is crazy to think about Darrell Wright being a veteran. Um, but what is he giving you right now? What are your thoughts on him? Well, uh, pretty much he's been a placeholder so far. He's playing about 14 minutes a game. He's shooting a lights out. He's over 45% from, from three-point land, but then most of the Blazers are. Uh, so he's able to hit the three. That's one thing. He's able to defend a little bit. That's another. But earlier, early in the season, he was kind of the invisible man. He'd go in there, not hurt you, not help you too much. He's had a couple games where he's come on with his shooting a little bit, but still we're trying to figure out a little bit who Darrell is. Uh, but, you know, compared to Portland's bench last year, which would just kill the Blazers every time they came in the game, even a guy who's pretty much been neutral with a little bit of positive has been a big help. Has Darrell Wright a pump faked himself into oblivion yet? Has <laughs> is, is that happened for you guys? Only idiots pump fake when you wear the Blazers uniform because you are so wide open on those weak side threes <laughs> that pump faking is just going to let the guy close. So it's really, it's it's like uh, fly fishing in Montana, catch and release all day long and uh, just stroke it through. So uh, he hasn't been pump faking one bit. Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> yeah, the problem was that he was pump faking when he was open here in, in Oakland, which was really frustrating to watch. So I'm glad he, he shook that after he- being open. And he didn't really have a secondary move, so he he would put no. fake right into right into the defense, and uh, and that that's all she wrote. So that was uh... yeah. Well, none of the Blazers have a secondary. If if you have to, if you make the Blazers put the ball on the floor, they're they're done. But uh, nobody has to. Everything happens through the air. So the lack of offense, other than shooting, hasn't hurt the Blazers so far. All right, I think Dave's just given us a key to the game. I like yes. this. Yes, Tell yes. the coaches. Uh, so obviously, though, you do have Damian Lillard who can put the ball on the floor a little bit and do some things. But you know, are, are you seeing him taking steps forward in a second year, or is he showing any signs of some sort of sophomore slump in any way? A little bit of both. He's showing a lot better timing on his offense in terms of when to take the shot and when to give it up to other players. He, he seems to sense when the team needs him to take over, and he's st- still able to do that. That said. He's relying a lot on his three-point shot, which he did early last year as well. Uh, The end of last year, he mixed up his offense more to great success, but only his three-point shot is working for him this year. Whenever he's driving, he'll have one or two spectacular drives, but most of it gets snuffed. Uh, So he's having real trouble scoring on the inside, and he hasn't figured out how to balance that part of his game out yet. But, you know, that'll come, and really the Blazers are winning, and everybody else around him is shooting gangbusters, so it hasn't really mattered. He's the the only Blazer besides Joel Freeland who's below 40% and really below 44% uh, shooting. So, you know, he's been up and down, but it's been all right for him and the team. So let's let's project out a little bit. Like once these three point shots stop falling for this team, or if they have a cold game, what do you think they're going to fall back on? Or is it just going to be a, a blowout for them, a blowout loss for them? Or is there something else they're showing that they can do when they're not hitting those shots? Saying once the Blazers stop hitting three pointers is like saying once Miley Cyrus stops singing bad songs. It's it's just not going to happen. You know, uh, they're they're good enough shooters to where they're going to keep up. Maybe not this torrid pace, but they're going to be shooting well probably all season. It's the one thing that they can do. However, 
uh, I think teams are going to wise up. Chicago should be uh, ready for them, which is their next game on Friday night. Uh, Golden State can probably shoot as well as they do and maybe can put some pressure on them to defend more. So uh, at some point, they're either going to get tired or people are going to figure out just to play a man-to-man instead of uh, either uh, you know trapping or sending help. And then we're going to see if those three-pointers are enough to make a difference. They'll still fall, but the Blazers need a whole lot of them in order to win, uh, even against the relatively you know, poor competition they've been playing. So I anticipate that's going to fall off probably immediately unless Chicago just goes brain dead. Uh, they're going to be tired in Golden State. I think you're going to see probably a good chance of a Portland loss there. And then we'll see uh, if they can get their confidence back. I mean, so that, that makes a lot of sense based on your roster. It's just, uh, and I, I do hope that Golden State can sort of shut down those three-point shooters. It's just, it sounds like, I think in our heads, we might have this idea that Damian Lillard is just going to come into games and, and take over based on the hype last year, right? So Damian Lillard kills you guys. I love it. I mean, yeah. you know, every, every other game he's good. But against you guys, he's like Wilt freaking Chamberlain. It's it's right. it's amazing uh, what he does down there. So I wish I wish... He could bottle that and unleash it against you know the Rockets. Okay, well, o- <laughs> Oakland native, of course, and and whenever he uh, he plays in the building, uh, he, I, last time he had like thirty seats that he okay. that he had family members in or something like that. So he uh, he <laughs> has he has a lot of people that are that are rooting for him in that building. Absolutely, and I think he scores a bucket for every seat. So uh, that's, <laughs> maybe the the Warriors will keep him down to maybe ten or fifteen seats this time. Okay, so looking a little bit. In a broader sense, you guys had this this fan post this summer comparing the Blazers of this year to the Warriors of last year, just in terms of the fact of a team that was maybe, if they answered all their questions, they could maybe make a leap um, into the playoffs and do something like what the Warriors did. I mean, are you seeing, are there still questions that you think remain needing to be answered? Or are you, are you thinking that everything, that all the questions you had have already been answered? No, uh, They've only been answered in the kindergarten sense. I mean, the Blazers can do addition now. We know that. But there was even a question about that coming into the season. I mean, this all could have fallen apart. Uh, they could have not figured out how to utilize Robin Lopez appropriately. His game is is decent but limited. They really need to keep him near the bucket. Had the, had the perimeter defenders not picked up the slack there and had Lopez been forced to run around helping people, that, that would be even more of a disaster than the defense already is. If they got tight and started trying to take over the game individually instead of sharing the ball, things would fall apart. So they, they've proved that they can do the basics well. The problem is they've done the basics against a horde of undermanned, under-talented, you know, just underperforming teams. And they haven't faced a, a true level of competition yet, uh, like the Western Conference is going to provide. And so there you're going to have to do more than addition. You're going to have to do a little, you know, multiplication. And some teams are going to make you do calculus. Plus, when you can only win in one way uh, so far, basically, uh, when that team takes away the way or at least guards it, you're going to have to prove that you've got something else in the tank. And they haven't proven that at all yet. They haven't had to. So those questions yet remain. And I think those are going to be answered probably a little more negatively than this 10 and 2 start would indicate. And so Zach Lowe sort of addressed some of those big questions in his article in Grantland on, on Wednesday. 
and made some suggestions about trades they can make during the season. Um, so sort of bringing together what you were saying in your article with what Zach Lowe was kind of suggesting, do you think that you're comfortable living with however these things play out over the course of this 82 games, or are you thinking that at some point the Blazers really should think about making that move to bolster their, their roster and answer some of those questions? think they're probably going to have to be comfortable with it because uh, they don't have a lot of junk in their trunk to unload. It's kind of like a garage sale. If you eliminate their five starters, and the, the five starters are really the reason that they are winning right now. Mo Williams has done a little bit, saved a couple games for them, but really it's the chemistry and the skill sets uh, of those five players that, that have made this 10-2 and two record possible. So if you trade them, then you really have to ask if you're just going laterally uh, and you risk disrupting the chemistry and that team style of play that's bringing you the victories. If you take them out of the equation, though, who are you going to trade to get somebody significant? I mean, like most of the league, I'd love to get my hands on a sheet from Houston, but what, they're going to take Thomas Robinson back, Joel Freeland? <laughs> I mean, Myers Leonard, uh, C.J. McCollum, maybe, I don't know, but... How do you get that kind of player who's going to make a difference right now when all you have are a couple of question mark rookies and a bunch of odds and ends who are playing a little bit over their heads right now? So I think the Blazers theoretically would like to make a move to to get a little deeper, to get some more, even more experience, even more bench help, especially at the center position. But I don't think that they have the, the tools uh, and the cachet necessary to do that. Well, and it doesn't seem like, uh, you know, the, the, the GM was, was planning to do that, you know, this year. This is kind of the, the first step of the, you know, completing a, a rebuild to, to become competitive and then and really looking down the line, seeing where you can improve in the next couple of years to, you know, f find out where the holes are and keep bolstering the, the, the bench and, um, you know, just kind of improving incrementally. That really seems like, like the goal over in Portland. Yeah, I think so, because that's what they're forced into. I think they'd like to make a bigger leap. Uh, they certainly need to make some kind of leap before LaMarcus Aldridge's contract runs out in two, uh, 2015. They, they either need to uh, extend him or trade him, and which one of those happens depends a lot on how far they're able to progress. So they need to do something. It's just that... The, the steps that they're able to take at any given time uh, are, so far have been pretty small. You, you mentioned uh, somebody on the bench, Myers Leonard, who a lot of Warriors fans actually were interested in drafting uh, last year uh, when we drafted Harrison Barnes. What, what do you think of Myers Leonard's, Myers Leonard's development so far? And what do you think are, I guess he fell behind Joel Freeland, correct, in the rotation? So like, what, what is going on there with him? Yeah, he did indeed. And... The reason is uh, Leonard is an offensive player. He's got real nice face-up jump shot out to 20 feet and beyond. Uh, he's got some tricky offensive moves even closer to the bucket. But the Blazers need their center to be a defender. Uh, they have to hold that middle. They're not doing that well at it, even with Robin Lopez uh, as the center and he's light years better than Leonard defensively down low. So the Blazers can't change around their entire defense to accommodate Myers, which means he's kind of the odd man out. Joel Freeland doesn't have near the offensive potential that Leonard does, but he plays more solid defense. He plays a grittier game. So he's got the position. 
Now, if you guys want Myers Leonard and you're willing to, to trade a, a more experienced center or a, another big man in there somewhere, you know, the Blazers might be willing to listen. However, I think they're probably projecting that Leonard will still pan out down the road. He's going to belong in this league somewhere because he can score the ball. He's just not what the Blazers need right now in order to bolster their lineup. You know, it's it's kind of worth thinking about on our end. I I, I haven't watched enough of Leonard recently to, to have much of a um, an opinion. I I don't remember being very impressed last year, but uh, certainly we we don't have much much offense from the center position, and and it's you know now that Jermaine O'Neal's hurt, and you know we're we're still waiting on Festus Azili to, to come back and, and you know neither of those players are, are offensive players anymore, at least for O'Neal. So starting to, to think about it. Hey, remember uh, David Lee uh, and LaMarcus Aldridge were in lots of trade talks too. Maybe we can, we can rope them in there. Yeah, um, the Blazers would probably be a little cooler towards that. But, you know, <laughs> if, if you need a center that shoots real sweet but plays defense like Strawberry Shortcake, I mean, uh, Myers Leonard is your guy. So you need to call up Neil O'Shea on that one and uh, see if you can tempt him. <laughs> I do. So no defense. It's okay. Yeah, I, I do want to just say, last time on, on the um, on Golden State of Mind, we really got got ripped for for talking about David Lee in in not so kind terms because I think that, that we we as fans have been um, harder on him than than maybe some people think we should. So I just want to say this out loud. I, I really like David Lee. This is completely a joke. I think Lamarcus Aldridge is a better player. I think that's not really even open to debate. But um, we love you, David. <laughs> yeah, I yeah love qualifying is always good because the torches and pitchforks come out really quickly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They yeah, they do. You got to write like three hundred word comments, and it gets ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> but. Uh, so, so moving on to something good about your defense, you know, Zach Lowe, someone, something else he highlighted in your defense was that, or in the Blazers' defense, I don't believe you play, uh, is that they, they're allowing they the fewest They asked me, but I'm, I'm too busy writing. I can't, I can't <laughs> suit up for them. People don't know the arduous task of writing. It's really, it's really tough. Uh, exactly. Fewest opponent assists in the league, and uh, Kevin Pelton noted that they've actually had the lowest opponent assisted field goal percentage since the merger as of this past week, and I don't know if that's held up. And that figures into them allowing the fewest corner threes, things that you would think would be Warriors' strengths. So those are things that would probably bode well for the Blazers against the Warriors. Um, but when you look at the Warriors team in this matchup, what are some things that scare you about them, That things that might bode the other way going negatively against the Blazers? Sure. Um, in general, forwards do not scare the Blazers almost no matter who they are. Uh, either the Blazers will shut down your forwards or score just as much as they do. Uh, so can forget that, even though both teams have some powerful names at the small forward and pow power forward positions. However, guards and centers score like hotcakes against the Blazers. If you've got any kind of, of inside game or any kind of mobility at the five spot, which, you know, for the Warriors is iffy, but still, uh, you know, any kind of scoring threat at all will hurt the Blazers at the five spot. If your guards can either shoot or put the ball on the floor individually, they will also score a lot against the Blazers. That part obviously scares me a little bit more. Uh, the Portland has a lot of heart when it comes to defense, a fair amount of scramble. And as you say, they don't tend to leave a lot of people standing alone on the perimeter. You're not going to get a lot of set up shots out there. However, 
if you can ball fake and drive past, you're going to be able to get your guards in the lane all night long. So that is a thing to circle. You might not hit the corner three, but just pump fake it like you were Darrell Wright and then take three dribbles in and you might have a dunk or a foul on Robin Lopez. So it kind of sounds like Stephen Curry, if he if he is playing, uh, you know, on Friday and Saturday after uh, the concussion he incurred earlier this week, uh, you know, Curry, you sound a little worried about a player like him, and I think everybody, I mean, every team is worried about Curry, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's worth worth bringing up just the, the the traits that you mentioned. He can he can pump fake, he can you know he can shoot obviously, but but he can put the ball on the floor as well and uh, get people into awkward positions. You should see the list of guards that have put up major points on Portland. I mean, the first couple of weeks of the season, it was every guard they played put up 20. I think the low was Tony Parker with 17. Uh, it's moderated a little bit because the guards haven't been so good uh, that they've played recently. But still, these guys are shooting like 50% from the floor and, and canning a lot of shots for the level of talent that they have. So that guard defense is is a major concern for Portland. Points in the paint are another huge one. Uh, the Warriors are not very good at that uh, unless, as I say, the guards penetrate. So uh, maybe the Blazers get a break there. But transition defense has been off and on for Portland. When, when Portland pays attention in transition, they're very good at getting back. But when they relax, you can score a lot of fast break points on them. And if you can score quickly, some nights you can rack up a lot of points against the Blazers. So just to sort of wrap up, because I think it's interesting. Obviously, they're off to this hot start, and you're saying there's a lot of great things that the Blazers are doing right now, but then you have these seemingly glaring negatives. And I think Lowe kind of described the the negatives as sort of a a trade-off because they have stat heads in the front office now, and the coaches are bought into that. So they're trading off, you know, giving up certain things and then kind of maximizing their strengths, which is a good plan. But when you look down the road, do you see – I guess your article suggested this could be still like about a 500 team if they keep up, even if they go and kind of drop a bunch of games in a row after this start, they could still be about 500. Is that still about what you feel optimistic about, that they're 500 kind of knocking on the door of the playoffs, or you see them accelerating or really slowing down? Yeah, a small correction there. I didn't see, say the Blazers were doing a lot of things well. I said they were doing two things well, two things but they're well. doing them really well. Right, they're doing really uh, well. So, And then you have those glaring flaws that you talk about, the paint defense, the transition defense sometimes, uh, and, you know, a few other things. But basically, uh, I think the Blazers have eliminated the lowest part of the bell curve, I hope. Uh, the the 35-win season, uh, the absolutely falling apart uh, deal, is hopefully not going to happen, or the probability is very small now, barring injuries, of course. That's another thing to think about when you're when you're projecting the Blazers into the season. Uh, they are really uh, vulnerable to injuries. If you take out Robin Lopez, if you take out LaMarcus Aldridge, if you take out Damian Lillard, those are almost disasters. And even... Nicola Batum or Wesley Matthews, the way they're playing right now, would be a significant blow. So the Blazers don't have a lot of wiggle room that way. So we'll say, barring injury, they're not going to absolutely stink. That puts the low mark probably around 500 or a little below. I would say the high mark might be a mid-playoff seed, but that's 
pretty unlikely as well. When you look at the West, the last time I looked, the difference between the Blazers at the two spot and the Grizzlies at the 10 spot was three games. So with 70 games remaining, three games is nothing. So I don't think you can project the Blazers high, low, or anywhere in between right now. All you can say is when they fall back, they probably won't fall back to disaster level uh you know, a disaster level scenario, but they could easily fall back to 500. They could easily still miss the playoffs. It'll all depend. And the thing to really watch is what happens after they go on that three or four game losing streak after some good teams take advantage of their weaknesses. Do they bounce back or do they crumble? And that's where the rubber will meet the road. Like you said in the beginning, they've shown their ability to not suck. Yeah. And that's, that can be a step that, forward. That's as much as we as we know so far. So early in the <laughs> right. season, and, and you're absolutely right. right. The, the West is 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 really wild. I mean, we 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 just don't know how it's going to pan out. And I think early in the season, it, it looked like there were probably, you know, six locks for the playoffs for sure. And then there were two spots that seemed wide open. And, and the Blazers certainly, you know, again, if they it sounds like if they stay healthy and if they can keep executing the way they've been executing, uh, they, they've got a good chance to to at least fight for one of those two spots there. Absolutely. And one of the challenges for them, too, the first time through the league, you surprise people a little bit. I've noticed that a lot of defenses have just been playing out their defenses as charted on the board, their their ideal vision of defense, no matter who the opponent is. I mean, the Blazers can crack their, their defense easily, but they still play it. I think the second time they meet the Blazers, they'll probably be more ready for them. And that will be the challenge for Portland. And that's where you'll see whether they're going to come back down and, and lose six or seven in a row, or whether that they can just uh, execute so well that regular season teams are just not going to stop them. I think it should be a, be a great game and uh, really looking forward to, to Saturday. May the best team win. Oh, or the Blazers. That would be fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want to thank Dave for, uh, for coming on with us today. Um, be sure to check out his stuff at BlazersEdge.com. Um, you, you can follow the, the blog there at, uh, at BlazersEdge on Twitter. Uh, Nate is uh, at NateP underscore SBN, and I'm at IvanBE. Uh, read more about this matchup over at BlazersEdge.com as well as uh, at GoldenStateOfMind.com, of course. And thanks for tuning in to Golden State of Mindcast. We'll talk to you soon.